Hello, I'm Jared Ritchie, Kuyperian Commentary Contributor and your host for today's episode. Today I'll be talking with James B. Jordan, the scholar-in-residence at the Theopolis Institute in Birmingham, Alabama, as well as the founder of Biblical Horizons. Uh, this discussion I had with Reverend Jordan on music and church music, a subject that is near and dear to both of us, and we thought, why not sit down and talk about instruments in worship, church music, the historicity of the Psalms, and what uh, comes about from that. So here's the first part of my interview with Reverend Jordan. Uh, Reverend Jordan, I wondered if you would... Um, Talk a bit about music in the church from the standpoint of theology. You hear people uh, talk about categories of systematics. Do you often find that in the back of your mind, do you wonder, have they had any music training? Or do you see a direct correlation, I guess to ask is to answer, between some very wooden theology today in systematics with pastors and seminarians who have had little, if any, music training at all? Well, I think that would uh, you, one would expect that to be the case. Although I know people who are pretty good musicians who, when they turn to do systematic theology, they they put on another hat and they do the way it's been done. <laughs> right. Uh, actually, uh, the way systematics works is not particularly influenced by music. I suppose you would say it's more the categories of biblical theology, where you're looking at how things change and develop in time, repeated patterns that you're really looking at musical elements of the text of the Bible. And um, I often speak of typology simply as musical theology. We're looking at how melodies come back and may come back played fast, played slow, uh, played uh, or heard underneath a bunch of other stuff going on. Uh, that's how melodies work, how music works, and is really how biblical theology and typology work. Well, uh, building on that, would you say then uh, to have a greater understanding of biblical theology, one needs to be uh, a musician? And if so, or how would you qualify or quantify that statement or, or trained in music? What's the connection there? Well, I don't know how much official training a person needs, but it is a parallel set of concepts and uh, some awareness of how music works, at the very least, would be of help uh, in in sensitivity and uh, becoming sensitive to how how to listen to music, at least, uh, I think would be a, of good value in understanding the way themes work in the Bible and beginning to become sensitive to them. What about um, changing gears? Uh, let's talk a little bit about the Psalms. In our circles, uh, some uh, either they bring a charge against you as sometimes uh, not being in favor of metrical psalms. I don't hear you saying that. I hear you being just the opposite, being thankful for metrical psalms, thankful for what they are. Um, could you talk a little bit about the progression, um, the digest version of the pattern of metrical psalms and where we should grow from there to other psalm forms and um, and how that's a good thing, but it it lends itself to growth and maturity through uh, through singing the psalms? I don't really like the term metrical psalms because I don't think uh, what are called metrical psalms actually are psalms. Um, psalms are given in a particular kind of um, musical shape. 
uh, and when you turn them into a metrical form, with when you take the ideas and you restructure them into meter and rhyme, uh, you don't have the same thing anymore. Uh, it would be like taking a, a short part of a Beethoven melody and turning it into something else altogether. Uh, Beethoven's Ninth Symphony ends with uh, Ode to Joy that is a, uh, uses a, a melody that is changed very slightly and turned into a hymn uh, by many churches. Well, that hymn is not Beethoven's Ninth anymore. It's a hymn based on a melody in Beethoven's Ninth. So I see metrical psalms as something very similar. Um, they're... Uh, I think metrical psalms are quite valuable, and I think the church has always used something like metrical psalms. That is, the psalm is there as a whole and should be sung as a whole, as it stands, uh, That which involves what Americans call chanting a psalm. But uh, beyond that, to apply it, to make applications of it by writing music that uh, takes... Uh, that that fits the teaching and context of the psalm more than a simple chant can do, or that brings out one or another aspect, or that doesn't include the entire psalm. Uh, those are all good things. It's what you do in a sermon. It's what you do in a prayer. So they're they're good. And I've always taught Genevan psalms, which from a musical standpoint are right up at the top. But there are plenty of others as well, or psalm portions, or psalm uh, reworkings that are more like paraphrases, even farther away, like Isaac, Hott, Isaac Watts' versions. Uh, all these things are good. We want to have all these things. But it's not good if one assumes that that can substitute for the psalms themselves. It's like saying a collection of sermons can sub substitute for the Bible, or that the uh, a confession or a catechism can substitute for the Bible. Uh, they can't. So we should have in our circles, and we are seeing a desire to get back to text psalms that are sung because singing puts things into the mind. Um, you need to call out the text more than if in a so-called responsive reading. And that endeavor of calling out the text on pitch uh, puts things into the mind and memory better and more fully which is all what we want, the word hidden in the hearts of our children at least. So what would you want to, if we were moving away from saying metrical psalms, how would you uh, just say hymn settings or hymns on the psalms? Or what would I just call them psalm paraphrases. Psalm paraphrases, okay. And then, um, so this would be things like the Genevan Psalms. For someone who's listening and like, what are you talking about, metrical psalms? The Genevan Psalms are metrical texts, usually in the English, right? Translations, right. but of hardier tunes. The Book of Psalms we're singing that Crown and Covenant has, that's metrical psalms. What other settings would the moder modern reform folk uh, know if, if you were saying metrical psalms? What would be an example or something that, that might go, ah, oh, I see what you mean? Well, it would have to be something like the Genevan Psalms. Or uh, way way down the line from that, musically and and textually, uh, the Book of Psalms for singing. But there are individual uh, metrical psalms out there, and metrical paraphrases of parts of the Bible uh, uh, that people are familiar with. 
Comfort, comfort ye my people, speak ye peace, thus saith our God. Uh, is Isaiah 40. Um, and there are other hymns um, that are either loosely or more strictly based upon a passage of Scripture. And uh, one of the things that I mean, I've gleaned from you over the years is, uh, I guess you would say, a, a rich diversity of hymnody. I mean, we're not just singing only Genevan, only metrical paraphrases, I guess, as we use the new term. Uh, we're chanting, we're doing Anglican chant, we're doing things like that. Uh, talk a bit about how our hymnals need to be uh, structured. What would you say? I know you pull pull a lot of stuff. You've even got some Russian uh, tunes and some of your settings of, of service music that you've pulled from. Uh, if someone's listening to this, a pastor or someone interested in music, uh, talk a bit about the diversity of things and, and what how we don't want to be too pigeonholed in one time frame uh, in music or church music. Yeah, a good hymnal, and some are much better than others on this, is very Catholic and international. So... Um, the one that I'm familiar with most is the service book and hymnal from the Lutheran Church in America in 1958. Uh, it includes hymns that are Finnish, uh, Norwegian, German, Danish, French, English, Scottish, American, uh, uh, Russian, uh, at least the tunes by Bortniansky, who was a Russian living in Italy, and his music is a little bit westernized. It almost has to be to be in a hymnal. Uh, the chanting services for service music, uh, there is one uh, plain song version that is based on uh, chorale tunes that are based on plain tunes, plain song tunes, and then there's another setting, there's an Anglican chant setting. So in, even in that hymnal, there's a, quite a diversity of musical traditions uh, woven together uh, a lot of uh, modern the, the modern contemporary style of music has none of that it all comes from one source it all comes from recent America um, radio um, style of music and there is nothing of the Catholicity of the church in that but uh, so that's and I, and I think the generation that uh, grew up on that is sick and tired of it except for the people who lead in worship, and they are most possessive about keeping it going. They're the only ones singing. Yeah. <laughs> the only ones Often they're the only ones singing, and they're in control of the music of the church, which ought not to be. Uh, musicians in a church need to be working closely with liturgists and with pastors. I'm with James Jordan, and we're talking music and theology and how those intersect. In this day and age where... Uh, we often talk about relativism. Uh, Reform folks, we see relativism, and we can spot it when it's moral relativism, but aesthetic relativism, we're not so keen on seeing. And uh, now we have to answer folks who say, all right, what about this music? Any tune, any setting uh, of sounds, music can go with any words. Uh, What would you say, uh, cautionary words or commentary on... uh, music and church music, hymnody, settings of music in the church. Uh, people are resistant to want to talk about, you know, 
styles and sounds and what kind of framework or groundwork do you think by when you're judging pieces that are sung in church for worship, for hymnals, or um, that's settings of uh, liturgical music and so forth? Well, a person who says you can use any kind of music for a set of words is like a person who says you can can put anything you want on a hot dog and it'll taste good. Mm -hmm. That's not true. You know, foods go together, and uh, the same is true of music. The words call forth the tunes. There are in the older Blue Trinity hymnal a couple of egregious examples of uh, ballroom dance tunes to imprecatory psalms that are absurd. And I don't know what somebody had was nodding when they put those things together. Uh, there are also some very beautiful matchings in that hymnal, so I don't want to settle the whole thing short. Uh, and uh, any no musician would ever say that. In other words, uh, we as musicians or as amateur musicians, in, in my case, um, know that there are tunes that go well with certain sets of words, bring them out, reinforce what they're saying, are orally significant, uh, for that purpose, and then there would be others that are just dull and don't work. They might work with something else. Um, it it matters how fast or how slow you play a, one or another hymn. I've heard uh, Psalm forty two, uh, "Why art thou upset, O my soul? Why disquieted in me?" You know, this is a lamentation psalm, and I've been in churches where that's sung at the speed of the light. And uh, as the heart about to fall, this is ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, I guess we would probably you would say that most people on its face would say, "Oh, yeah, I would agree with that." But what causes the blind spots that we seem to have, where just because a text is great, we we don't really or is it is it music uh, inexperience, a non education, non access to okay. what is the elements of music? I mean, what? How can we prevent that uh, that wrong thinking or wrong headedness or blind spot? As I said, well, you can't always prevent things, but blind spot is a good way to say it, and a lot of it is. I mean, I I would say ninety percent of it is simply lack of musical experience. There was a time when musical education was part of education, and uh, it hasn't been for a while. Uh, In our universities, it's not anywhere near what it once was. There was once the idea that there was a body of great music that you should learn, just like there's a body of great literature you should learn. And a literature course was not a course in Spider-Man, and a music course was not show tunes uh, and pop music. you study Shakespeare, and you study Bach and Beethoven, uh, and music of that style. And, and, of course, you might study modern plays and literature as well, Christian and non-Christian, and modern 20th century music as well. But still, there's a difference between a uh, Francis Poulenc setting of the Gloria and uh, some pop Christian tune that is here today and gone tomorrow, which may be just fine and dandy in another context, but it isn't necessarily great and enduring music. And secondly, and in quite different, it's not necessarily appropriate for worship. The worship of the church has its own history of 
texts, forms, behavior, and musical sounds. They're somewhat different between East and West, but in both cases they've been around for a long time. And uh, a person needs to become come familiar with that and write into it so that the church has her own culture and is preserving that culture and passing that culture on because that's what gives people stability and anchorage in the midst of a world that's constantly changing and seemingly getting worse and worse around them. Uh, and the, since the so-called 60s, uh, the idea has been to to make the church as much like the world as possible in terms of music, how people dress, uh, how people act, uh, what they what they strict what they um, hold themselves to. Between Sunday school and church, you don't spend the entire twenty minutes talking about yesterday's football game because that's you're in church. You're at church, okay. Um, we wouldn't have done that 50 years ago because you're at church. That's not what you talk about. Um, you talk about other people's problems, what they need to have prayed for, etc. Um, you put your hands up and put your hands together for prayer. Uh, if somebody says, let's pray, you stand up. Um, you never pray sitting down. Um, I can give there are loads of things like that that are all part of the, the package of what needs to be recovered and preserved for the uh, life and therefore the music of the church. This informality has not worked and can't work because people, when they come to church, need something different from the mess that they're in all the time. And uh, that doesn't mean that sitting around in a boardroom rather than standing is wrong. That's a boardroom. Doesn't mean that popular music is wrong. It's just not church music. So uh, having your 12 year old uh, daughter get up and play Mendelssohn's spinning song uh, for during an offertory is also a bad idea. That doesn't belong there. Chopin is not for the church, it's for the recital hall. So there is an appropriateness. Uh, what we call glory is very often a matter of what is fitting and appropriate at a certain time and place. And uh, that question has not been addressed very well by very many people. so much for joining me today. As always, you can find the links to today's episode by visiting us at kyperion.com and by subscribing to receive our updates. You can also find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Thanks for joining us on this episode, and we'll see you next time.